Hey, how's it going, guys? Welcome to Mulling It Over here on Heart of Ohio Sports. Nate Mullins live inside Studio Squared. I've got Greg Ken on the ones and twos, and we've got a couple special guests joining us via Zoom. Uh, first up, I got to tell you, folks, make sure you share the video. Like, follow, subscribe on all of our platforms, especially hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Find Heart of Ohio Sports on YouTube. Hit subscribe. Help us out. Share the video. Let's introduce our guests today. First, obviously, we all know Zach Baker, sports editor at the Finley Courier. He's been on a couple times with us already. Uh, thanks for coming on with us tonight, Zach. No problem. Thanks for having me. And then tonight, a uh, special guest, the writer of Weird Moments in Cleveland Sports History, Vince Guerreri. Thanks for coming on with us, Vince. My pleasure. Absolutely. So we have a couple of guests uh, lined up for later. Uh, well, actually, just one now, uh, but we'll get to that later. Let's talk about this book. Vince, uh, Zach, I had you on because you're friends with Vince. So explain how you guys know each other first so that way you know, people understand why we have the two of you on at the same time. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, uh, Vince and I are both uh, graduates of Bowling Green State University, about uh, five years apart. And, and right after college, we started doing this thing called uh, 210 West. And <laughs> and um, it was it was like this web thing. And Vince was ended up editing a lot of my stuff uh, and a lot of my columns that I was writing at the time. And uh, when I was in my, in my mid 20s and late in mid to late 20s. And uh, then Vince got a job as sports editor at the uh, Fremont News Messenger. So we saw each other a lot and nice. uh, became pretty good friends. And uh, got, I got there only a little after you got to Tiffin, right? Right. About a, about a year. And uh, we got to spend. Some, so, you know, just just by by being at the same events, you know, a lot like you and I, Nate, you know, you go to the same events, you see each other. And and uh, we just became we, we, we hit it off and uh, to two BGSU Falcons and uh, two writers. And uh, it's, it's been, it has been a lot of fun. It's been a heck of a ride. Uh, got to do a lot of cool things with the, uh, with Vince over the years. Uh, went to a movie premiere uh, with them. Uh, got to, uh, got to do some other stuff and go to go Just to a bunch spring. Huh? Just this spring was when we went Just to the movie spring. premiere. We went to a movie premiere. Uh, and the biggest thing is, is one of the bigger things is he's, I've been able to get an early look at some of his books and and one of the books that i got to really look at was was this one so uh it's a uh, you know so i got a chance to look at it before everybody else did so i was i was one of the lucky ones well you lucky duck you <laughs> insider zach baker you got a new label now <laughs> yeah so vince i gotta talk to you let's let's talk a little bit about this book what inspired you to write this one here uh this was uh basically my pandemic project um early 2020 um you know the 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 outline was basically crowdsourced on twitter right and um it was you know everybody was talking about all of the uh goofy things that have happened in in cleveland sports history and there really seems to be an inordinate amount of them it's a book that writes itself <laughs> right and it is the longest book i've ever written <laughs> And um, then, you know, the pandemic uh, came along and all of a sudden, uh, fortunately, uh, my wife and I were both able to keep working. So we didn't have a whole lot of adverse effects, but there was no sports to watch. And I found myself with uh, with some free time and I'm going, <laughs> I can probably do this. And, and uh, I found um, a willing audience at Gray Publishing and they do uh, a lot of 
Cleveland and, and Northern Ohio type nonfiction publications, a lot related to sports. Uh, my coworker at the Chronicle Telegram, Jim Ingram, wrote a biography of Mike Hargrove for Gray. Uh, a lot of the books that Terry Pluto has written lately have been for Gray. Um, Dan Coughlin's books have, have been published through Gray. So, you know, they, um, they thought it was as interesting as I did. And uh, I turned in a manuscript earlier this year and the book hit the streets in November and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, I happened to see uh, Zach's share of the book, and I was like, oh, well, this is right up my alley. I love Cleveland sports, anything Cleveland sports. You know, Zach and I, anytime it's off air or even on air, we've gone back and forth with Cleveland sports history over the years. And that's one of those things. I saw the book, and I'm like, oh, this is definitely something I need to talk to the writer about. And especially with Zach having the insider track, I wanted to get you on, talk with you a little bit about this. So what other books have you written other than this one? Well, uh, my first book was a straight-up contract gig. It was uh, it was a sports trivia book. And uh, in 2013, I wrote a book for the History Press on the uh, Fremont Ross Sandusky High School football rivalry. Nice. I believe both of those are both of those are available on Amazon as well as as well as this most recent one. Yes. Uh, the, like I said, the the book is this book is put out through Gray Publishing. Uh, you can order it through their website. Um, there are uh, assorted brick and mortar locations that are selling it in Northeast Ohio, but it's available on all the usual suspects online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million, wherever you, you like to go shopping for stuff like that. Very nice. So what all goes into this publishing process? Now, once you've actually finished your job, you've written the book, then what? What happens next? Well, I mean, even before you've written the book, um, if you're going to write a novel, they expect to see a completed manuscript. If you're going to write a nonfiction book, you can usually sell it based on an outline and, um, you know, a sample chapter or two. Okay. And that's that's what that's that's how this got the the ball rolling. And like I said, I um, uh, was able to get it going on. Um, I was able to get it going on on. Um, Oh, there goes yeah, Zach. We, we, we appear to have uh, <laughs> lost somebody. But uh, anyway, I was able to submit the manuscript in March, and, and uh, I made sure that uh, Zach had looked at it before, so I didn't look like a complete doofus. But uh, from there, you know, there's a there's a line edit. Uh, there's a copy edit. You know, you got to think about all the, the graphic elements, the cover. Um, you know, we, we were looking at uh, some kind of photos or illustrations and, and uh, that that didn't come to pass. Um, but the book came out in um, November. And then we started doing uh, marketing for the book, which is, you know, appearances at bookstores, uh, appearances on radio programs and, and podcasts like this, and just kind of pounding the pavement to encourage people to read the book or at least buy the book. Okay. So now, when you get into the writing process, I think we got Zach back here. We'll try to see yeah, if we can connect back. him back. Looks in like it. <laughs> Thought you said that the hotel had good Wi-Fi, Zach. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm the problem. No, the hotel's fine. I, I, I think I might be the problem here. <laughs> <laughs> so now describe your writing process. When you decide what you want to write about, what's your writing process look like? Well, I mean, it depends on, on what it is that, that I'm writing. Um, I spent a lot of years in newspapers and 
you know, a lot of stuff that you write very quickly on deadline. You kind of adhere to the the inverted pyramid style of writing the most important stuff at the top, and then you know down into the into the uh, into the details. But um, I really started branching out into uh, magazine writing about almost ten years ago. And the thing with magazine writing is, and and again, you you there's a pitching process not unlike uh, pitching a book. You know, you say this is a story idea, and and one of the things they tell you is you're pitching a story. You're not pitching a topic. Yeah. You say I want to write this. This is where we're going to start. This is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to end. I like it. And, you know, that's kind of what happened with this book. I'm going, this is all the stuff that I'm going to include. You know, this is how you, um, you know, divide up the chapters. Because this is one of those stories. Uh, this book does not really have uh, what I'd call a chronological narrative. All the yeah. chapters are grouped, not even by team either, but they're grouped by, you know, common themes. There's, there's you know, uh, strange injuries. There's, you know, strange things that happen on the field. There's you know, strange things that happen with team owners, strange things that happen with, you know, team front offices. Um, and, and my personal favorite, the last chapter is called Wait, That Guy Was Here. And it's about <laughs> all of these people who were famous somewhere else and for one reason or another uh, ended up in Cleveland, either before they became famous somewhere else or well after they had become famous somewhere. I, I kept waiting for Mark Langston to show up in that chapter oh okay well you know i gotta leave something for the sequel that's right yeah yeah and I, so you know you you write out the outline and and you just and you just fill it in because it's very easy for for something like this you know if you were going to say i wrote sixty thousand words for this book that can sound really intimidating right. but if you say i wrote a thousand words a week for 60 weeks that sounds a little you know a little more manageable Especially if, you know, you have a background as a writer, a thousand words. I mean, that it takes Zach that long just to clear his throat. <laughs> uh, you know, first of all, I object to the mere premise of that argument. Um, I, I think if you recall, I, I tend to be I, I am a uh, I am I'm a very concise writer. Mm -hmm. uh, believe me, if I wanted to, my Browns columns could go 2,000 words, but uh, I always <laughs> cut them off at about 400 and 400 to 600. But Browns uh, columns well, could go 2,000 words because you're a masochist. Well, <laughs> you only take on certain roles because you have that in your background. That's great. Um, no, I think I think the thing of it is though, the the thing of it is is like yeah, it is very daunting. But the best way to do anything like that is to to do it even. If, like for me with the, 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 the big columns, it's kind of the same thing, the big stories, but it's like, you can't think about it either. You just got to put your head down and go. Right. Um, because it's, it's, it's for, for, for Vince, uh, you know, you know, you, you, I remember when you wrote the Politico column, uh, one of them anyway, way back when, when Cleveland got the convention, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that was like a really, uh, but you just have to, and you do a lot. I mean, you, you do a lot of the contract stuff and, and uh, it's a it's but it's one of those things where, yeah, it's daunting, but you really it's the first step that I think is the is the most important one. And then when you take that one, you're just a little bit closer. It makes it a little bit less a uh, little bit less daunting. Mm -hmm. So what like was the old the... joke? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so now what were some of the moments that might have stuck out to you as a Cleveland sports fan over the years? Some of the moments that you kind of 
when you were writing this book, it was like, all right, I have to include these. I mean, obviously, anybody that's that's been around for the Browns for the last 10 years, they said Johnny Manziel's going to get his own chapter, isn't he? <laughs> and I mean, you know, he kind of did, but not not all at once. I mean, that was just one of those things. The the exact word, the exact words I had the night they drafted him is this makes the Browns more interesting. It does not make them better. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, yes. It sells I more really tickets. was I, I really wanted not to be right about that, but. I, I was right about it, but there are actually a couple of stories that I had um, that I had written uh, for various publications that uh, found their way into the book. Um, when uh, fall of 2015, I wrote a piece for Ohio Magazine on the first year of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I was able to do a lot of great interviews. And I don't know how much you know about that, that team, but they were terrible. I mean, absolutely <laughs> terrible. And uh, everybody was just thrilled to talk to me because, I mean, everybody remembers a miracle at Richfield. Nobody remembers that first year when they were that bad. Yeah. And, and you know, a couple of those stories ended up finding their way into, uh, into the book. Uh, I did a piece for Deadspin about the Stratomatic All-Star Game. In 1981, good, Cleveland yeah. got Major League Baseball All-Star Game. 1981, there was also a strike. <laughs> and uh, everybody was legitimately worried about whether or not – the strike was in the middle of the season. So everybody was legitimately worried about whether or not the uh, uh, the All-Star Game would be played at Cleveland that year. And it, and it ended up uh, being played. They, they settled the strike in August, and the first game back was the All-Star Game. But on the day in July that it was supposed to be, uh, a couple of producers from Channel 3, the NBC affiliate here in Cleveland, uh, got into Cleveland Stadium, set up some card tables, and had a Stratomatic All-Star game of their own. And, and they put on all the trappings of, um, uh, of what you might expect from an Indians game at that point. Uh, Rocco Scotty sang the, the national anthem. Um, the, the baseball bug, the Indians, uh, short-lived mascot was there, uh, entertaining a That's crowd what that estimated was. at 50 people. It and, was a bug. Uh, it was just, you know, and one of the things about the all-star game is the reason it's so popular is because for many, many years, that was the only thing that was happening in pro it's, sports that well, week. It yeah. still is for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. It, and that's and the worst the week all-star game. What? That's the worst week, worst week of the year for me to fill space. Right. Because there's nothing going on. And that's, you know, because of that, you know, everybody that would have been covering the all-star game says, Hey, look at this stratomatic all-star game. And, and it kind of, you know, it registered on the media landscape. Vince, can you tell, can you tell Nate um, the story about when you called that producer and what he said to you when you, when you called him after uh, all these I years? I believe his exact words were, how the hell did you find me? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like catnip for a journalism. That's oh my right, god, for a journalist. That's right up there with how did you get this number? Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, if, if, if I may add one other thing about the actual All Star Game um, that I always found interesting, uh, if you go back because because the, the 1981 All Star Game is in fact on YouTube, you can watch the entire thing, and there's a lot of funny things in it. With the benefit of hindsight, uh, you know, Dave Garcia gets a gigantic standing ovation from the eighty thousand because he's he's a coach at the all-star game for the American league. And the next guy is Don Zimmer and he gets booed. 
and he takes it like he just lifts his hat. He thinks it's hilarious. But the funniest thing for me that happens in that game is Pete Rose leads off for the National League. And uh, Joe, um, uh, there, uh, Tony Kubek and uh, Joe Garagiola are doing the game. And they were talking about how baseball was on trial. And they said, this is 1980. And they said, 1981, excuse me. And they said, well, if baseball is on trial, could we have a better character witness than Pete Rose to lead off the game? Oh, my God. <laughs> Times they change. <laughs> That's like OJ rescuing the cat in the towering inferno. <laughs> OJ also comes up in the book because his bust at the Hall of Fame in Canton, somebody uh-huh. just at, at that point, and this was right when, when he wasn't on trial at that point, but he was about to go on trial. And somebody just picked up his bust because they weren't bolted down or anything. Because who'd steal the bus? And they stole the bus. <laughs> didn't they? Didn't they find it on the side of a highway or something? So an ODOT crew found it on the side of seventy-seven, almost to downtown Cleveland. I think. I think it was. I think it was Jay Leno who said, "The sad thing about all this is that the guy who stole it will probably go to jail, and OJ will walk." Right. <laughs> I don't think. I'm. Nobody ever uh, ever got charged with that. So, I mean, if OJ's out there looking for the real killers, he should be looking for this guy, too. It's amazing how all those real killers end up at golf courses. But anyway, yeah. Um, no, I, I, the, but I think, if I may uh, just interject, I thought one of the more interesting things, too, wasn't there, because uh, you guys are wrestling fans over there at Heart of Ohio Sports. Oh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, uh, Vince, can you tell them about the story, and, and if they haven't read it already, about the Austin Carr and WWE Raw. Yes, that, that was, was that was in the same chapter as the, was... the OJ thing because they had uh, WWE Raw at uh, at the arena, and I think it was the next day there was a Cavs game or like uh, the day after that. And God love him, Tom Withers from the Associated Press looks up and says, "Austin Carr's banner is gone." <laughs> You remember this, and Greg? He, oh and he asked AC about it. And I guess AC joked with him and says, yeah, I'm coming out of retirement. So they took the banner down. <laughs> but somebody had caught the banner and they, they, they never figured out who did that either. So they just put a replacement banner up there. So somewhere in Cleveland, I really hope this is the case. Somebody's got Austin Carr's retired number in their basement. Along with, along with a, a Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, uh, wrestling figure and Ultimate Warrior and you know, I like to think somebody's got that, and I like to think somebody's got the the forty eight pennant because that was another story in the book. Um, the when the Indians were mathematically eliminated in nineteen forty nine, Bill Veck had a funeral for the pennant. He brought this horse drawn hearse out. They lowered the pennant. They put it in a casket in the hearse. They buried it out in the outfield. You know, and they said a few <laughs> words over it, and and. Um, and and that was the end of it. And and I guess Bill Vec went all out. I mean, he was wearing the top hat and the and the frock coat and all that stuff. And I just randomly stumbled on it doing some research for something else. But there was a, a weekend in '75, I think, that they had uh, the '48 team back, and they talked about the pennant being buried. And one of the grounds crew, who was around in '48 said, yeah, we dug it up the next day because Bill Veck borrowed the casket from a funeral home and they wanted it back. <laughs> but they never found a pennant. Well, and that was, and that was, that might've been where uh, Pete Franklin got the idea to run the funerals every year on his radio show for the Indians. <laughs> I think it was Dwayne Kuyper who said that they always knew when they were doing it because they would get sympathy cards. Uh, <laughs> 
every year saying we can, condolences for another lost season. Um, I think I might have yeah, but I will say, you know, one here. thing I want to say about about this book, uh, Nate, just Hang real on. quick, is like you just know that uh, I'm right pretty back, intense guys. about Cleveland sports. You don't say. And uh, there's stuff I didn't know, so I think that's a pretty good deal. Uh, there's stuff that I couldn't quite figure out. So did we lose him? No, he. Uh, our other guest is arriving here, so he just wanted to. Go oh, okay. The yeah, I just had to open the I door. I thought I offended sure. him so much he walked out. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I had to accommodate our next guest. Uh, he just arrived in studio, so uh, just want to make sure I set him up, make sure he's ready to go. But yeah, that's. I mean, there was a lot of things when I went through this book that kind of stood out to me. Um, now, since you finished the book, have there been any moments that maybe fans have pointed out to you that you might have omitted? Other than the one that Zach told you about, you know, just a minute ago. Uh, I don't know that there have been, you know, moments that were omitted, but I mean, there have been definitely been moments that have um, happened since then. And, and oh, you know, that's I was a able never ending to book. sneak in right under the wire. <laughs> yeah, wait a week. I'm sure there'd be. Huh? <laughs> right. Wait a week, right? Yeah. Whenever you put it out, just wait a week. I was able to sneak in just under the wire, Zach Plesak, uh punching the mound and breaking his hand. Ugh. <laughs> Didn't he get hurt aggressively taking off his shirt? I that believe was, yes. Yeah. yeah, broke his like, hand. Or ligaments in his like, I don't know about you guys, but when I hear aggressively taking off his shirt, I always think of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you know, Same. Tearing, tearing yes. his shirt off. Yes. I mean, like, I think they should just put real American when Zach police act pitches um play that and have him come out in like one of those yellow shirts that he ain't you know, on a bandana and you know just do that but yeah the that one and of course i mean some of the way the browns have lost uh this year i think could probably oh find its way uh yeah well i was at i at that that jets game they said that that browns were the first team to blow a two-score lead in less than two minutes since the Browns did it in 2001 in Chicago. And I was at that game at Soldier Field. Ugh. And it was just kind of amazing. I don't know if you guys <laughs> had ever been to old Soldier Field, but it definitely looked like a stadium that dated back to the 20s. And that was really the main attraction for us to go to this game. And, yeah. you know, the Browns go up 14 and you see people, you know, just streaming out of the seating bowl. And then the Bears score and you see, you know, that stream turn into a trickle and then the bears score again to tie the game and people start coming back so they can sit back down and see what happens. <laughs> the, the one thing with that game was like, there were so many things they had to score a touchdown, recover an onside kick and then complete a desperation pass with no time left in regulation. Yeah. Those three things. Like that was the thing. The thing about the jets game was how easy it all was. Um, because the Browns mishandled the onside, mishandled the onside kick so poorly, um, because of the fact that they blew the coverages so badly, what the Jets did this year that was easy compared to what happened. What happened in Chicago? When I, I remember where I was, uh, I was a, I was a junior in in college. I was watching it at downtown in BG, and as soon as Mike Brown had the interception Mike and ran it back Brown. for a touchdown, I Ugh. stormed out. I just remember kicking the <laughs> door as I went by. I was so angry. And, well, uh, luckily that night we could watch the Yankees lose, so that took a little of the pain. It did, yeah. <laughs> but just yeah, that was the that was Game Seven of the the one World Series that night, right? Yeah. So, all right, Zach, I got to ask you, and then I'll go to Vince next, and then we'll kind of run through. Uh, what's your top five weirdest moments in Cleveland sports? 
top five. Top five. Um, well, I would, I, I think, you know, I think there's a story, um, the, the Dennis Eckersley thing. Okay. Uh, De- Dennis Eckersley, Rick Manning, uh, that, that story has to be on there. Um, that, that's one of those things. That's, that's one of those that I just, uh, that I just can't quite, the, the, the one from 2001 Vince, where, uh, the three Browns were arrested. You remember that one? In the- yes. Yes. Within the span of like four days and it was, <laughs> right. it was the part that killed me is one of them was gerard warren got popped for a weapons charge and it was at a party he- thrown by plaxico burris mm. who himself is not is known for being careless with firearms <laughs> well i think the, the, the line that i remember from that was carmen policy saying in a press conference that uh, Ger- uh the the uh, the officer who arrested gerard warren said he was the nicest guy he'd ever arrested Oh well, that isn't that nice, isn't that nice? Carmen's always been a uh, a glass half full kind of guy because he was the one who said after Bottlegate. I think it just proves how passionate our fans are. Well, Well, that's one of the items that I I didn't complete is the guy who was throwing water bottles at Jimmy Haslam at the Browns game. You'll never, yeah, passionate fan base. The bottles don't pack as much of a wallop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, passionate fan base is a great way to describe Browns fans. What was that, Vince? That that's another one that uh, that that uh, happened after the book came out. The guy who gave the stadium a lawn job. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think I think I, you know, and I, again, he's already said it, but I think that the the the, the pennant from 1948, which would be one of yeah. the great things that Cleveland could have for a championship, uh, that that's not there, that we don't have that. I think that's a pretty incredible. Uh, the pretty incredible uh, story. I mean, some some of the stuff. I think most of the stuff for me is is the stuff that I didn't live through. Yeah. Um. It, I think I think that that. I'm just thinking, like in my lifetime, you know, like when I go through the the top five for me, it's the ones that I've lived through. You know, I don't think about the old ones because I wasn't there to experience those. I think about my top five would be the ones that I got to live through and go, what the, are you kidding me? This is just only in Cleveland moment. You know, like for me, it was, you know, Dwayne Ray, Dwayne Rudd ripping off his helmet. That was one of them that always has stood out to me. It cost him a win against the chiefs. I mean, that was one of three games yeah. that the Browns ended up losing since they've come back on an untimed down at the end of regulation. A, yep. So it says it says zero zero zero. Zero 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 and they're ahead. <laughs> the clock says so if you looked at the clock, you I I know one of those games was in Detroit. That was the, the Brady Quinn uh Matthew Stafford game, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, I remember at A Belum uh Abe Elam just shoving the receiver out of the way on the on the interference play. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't uh, uh, Abe Elam. It was uh, uh, Hank Poteet. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, and it's like you don't you don't usually call you don't usually call a a an interference on a hail mary type situation, but in this case, Hank Poteet just I mean he just it was the most obvious push you've ever seen. Yeah, it, they made it was so like you couldn't not call it. You know, it's like that was how. Um, over the top it was i i think you know you talk about with 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 the thing the funny thing about cleveland is you could do a story about this where it would be about just one of the franchises um i also think that the the the, the other thing for me was george steinbrenner and kind of his uh his experiences in cleveland sports from the cleveland pipers 
to buying, uh, nearly buying the Indians uh, in the early 70s with the help of Al Rosen so and close. Uh, Gabe Paul. Uh, that would be the one that I would, that'd be one that I would think, because Steinbrenner became for a time the most hated man in professional sports. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he was so involved in, you know, as a, a shipbuilder from Lorraine um, and becoming this, this uh, New York sensation. I think a lot of people, when they look at George Steinbrenner and Nate, when you said, you know, you look at, you look about things that have happened to you. I think a lot of people from today's generation don't understand just how, uh, just how troubling uh the legacy of George Steinbrenner was they, they, they see what happened in the early two thousands and the late nineties with the Yankees. And they think he was a great owner. And there's this whole other saga before that. Right. Um, that, that, that defined his legacy that, you know, frankly, he may not have survived if he were in Cleveland, but you could survive I mean, it in New York. So one of the things I, I don't know if you guys read ladies and gentlemen, the Bronx is burning. It's a, it's, it's a look at New York city in 1977 ESPN did a, miniseries based on the portion that talked about the Yankees, the Bronx Zoo Yankees. And they touched on, you know, the mayoral race and they touched on uh, Son of Sam. But, you know, that came out at just the right time in my estimation, because God help me, there were people who said George Steinbrenner should be in the Hall of Fame. And this came out so we could all remember what an absolute raving psycho he used to be. <laughs> I mean, a guy got suspended from Major League Baseball once and he got a lifetime ban another time that ended up getting rescinded. Well, and it also led to one of the one of the greats, uh, one of the great quotes in history uh, from the late Billy Martin when he was one's talking about a born about liar and the other one's the convicted. convicted. You know, another one that during my lifetime, there's been a few of them. The the Fausto Carmona one, you know, just oh my God. <laughs> Kellen Winslow well, wrecking his, his motorcycle. Vince, Vince, like Vince wouldn't put this in his book. But with Fausto Carmona uh, at, the, at the 2007 uh, state track meet, Vince and I were both down there covering it for our respective papers. And Vince looks at me and he says, I'm going to name my first child Fausto. <laughs> as, as it turned out, and it's a good thing he didn't name Sammy after that, because now it, he wouldn't be named for anyone. Uh, the child wouldn't be named. Sammy, she wouldn't be named for anyone at this point. <laughs> Uh, you'd have to change the name to Roberto Hernandez. Well, That's of course, good. by the time uh, by the time my daughter was born, if I were going to name her Fausto, that means I would have to absolutely beat her every five days. Ooh. All right. Uh, another one that stood. I mean, J.R. Smith forgetting what the score was. I mean, that's a recent one for me. But I, I think one that for me was one that stood stood out as a Browns fan was uh, it's one of the biggest what ifs to me. LaCharles Bentley going down on that freak injury on the first play of training camp. I feel like that was one of those biggest, like, what if moments as a Browns fan when I look back because they spent so much money that offseason and he was the prize acquisition. And they thought that this guy, you know, two time, multiple time Pro Bowler, you know, this guy, he was going to be the And he was coming key. home. Yeah, he was coming home. He was an Ohio guy. He was a Cleveland kid. He was coming home and first play of training camp goes out with a knee injury, never plays again. That's just one of those things where it's like, wow, only in Cleveland. Well, and not just that. I mean, you know, he only blew out one patellar tendon. Yeah. Later on that season, Gary Baxter blew out both of them. Yeah. The thing about, and the, and the funny thing about, the only thing about LeCharles, though, is that you remember they went out and got Hank Fraley after that. Um, they got him for a song, I believe, from uh, Philadelphia, <laughs> and he actually played reasonably well. Yeah. 
Uh, and so they actually, I don't want to say they dodged a bullet with that mm-hmm. one, but yeah, for him, it's certainly a what if because he never played again. He ended up having uh, La Charles Bentley never played again. He ended up uh, uh, hosting a radio show yeah. uh, in Cleveland for, for a number of years. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, obviously he's, but he's best known aside from that injury, he's best known for being part of Ohio state, you know, during some of their good teams in the nineties. For sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so guys, I don't want to keep you too long here. I have my guest here waiting. Um, I do want to kind of give you a moment, Vince, to get shout outs, any thank yous you want to give out there. Cause this is, it's a pretty big moment. I think this is a big book and, uh, people really need to go out there and if you, it's available at any of the publications where you can find, books normally correct uh yeah yeah it's uh, it's on amazon it's uh barnes and noble books a million you can order it directly from the publisher if you want to as well uh great grayco.com but uh, this has been uh it, it has been occasionally traumatic but mostly it has been a labor of love yeah i can only imagine this one's probably pretty fun to write and just kind of go through the different moments in time with uh cleveland sports uh, obviously, we all have a uh, a love a love hate relationship with Cleveland sports sometimes, but it's mostly just a love relationship. We love watching it. We we're dedicated to it. So for you to be able to put something like this together, and this is great reading material, not just bathroom reading material, but great reading material in general. Um, and I think this is something that every Cleveland sports f- fan should try to get their hands on. So once again, weird moments in Cleveland sports. Vince Guerrero. Did I get that right? You did. All right. Thank you for coming on with us. Thanks to Zach Baker, sports editor at the Finley Courier as well. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate you coming on. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. All right. And uh, we're going to take a moment, take a quick timeout. We'll come back. we got a special guest joining us in studio. Tune in. Uh, stay tuned to find out who. We'll come, to you ba- we'll come back to you after this right here on Heart of Ohio Sports.
All right, and we're back in studio. Nate Mullins, Greg Kinn on the ones and twos, the wizard. And, of course, we have a special guest joining us in studio today. The man, the myth, the legend, Brody Conley, two-time state champ, current West Virginia Mountaineer. How we doing, man? Good, good. How are you? Doing well. Hey, I appreciate you spending some time with us tonight. Yeah, for sure. Anytime. So you're in town. You got a little bit of a break, you know. Mm. How was that first semester? It wasn't too bad. Uh, stayed on track for my grades. Um, athletics was good. Uh, wrestling was good. I I got I've got some really good bonds with my teammates, my coaches. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot. That's cool. Heck yeah, man. So you originally, when we, obviously we've been following you since you were a freshman in high mm -hmm. school. Uh, now, when we first heard of your, you know, recruiting process, you had originally committed to Cornell. Yeah. yeah. You decided to switch your commitment over to West Virginia. Now, what inspired that switch? Um, there was a, a lot of guys that I went, that I was committed to Cornell for, um, but they ended up leaving and there wasn't a whole lot of communication as to why. And what was going on, and then um, so two of the guys on the team left, and then the head coach actually left. So I, that was just like, oh wow, like yeah. kind of like question makes you question yourself and your choices that you made. So uh, I kind of settled out for a while, um, and the new head coach that came in was awesome. I after I decommitted, I kept talking to Cornell. Actually, they were right. uh, they were still on me trying to recruit me, but they were cool. But then uh, yeah, um, then Coach Flynn and all the West Virginia staff started talking to me a lot, and uh, I got. Clearly, I got, well, or got along pretty well with them. So. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, now, this has probably been a big adjustment for you going from high school to college. What do you think, what's what's the biggest adjustment that you've had to deal with so far? Um, There's probably two. So, uh, I've been a big family person in my life. My, uh, It's always been me, my sisters, and my parents. Um, I've had, I've had, I've had good friends, but um, not really... Uh, never really been able to like join all my friends and all the fun stuff that a lot of high schoolers do i've always uh kind of held myself back a little bit just because uh i knew i had a huge future in front of me right and there's a lot of lots of there's a lot of stuff that high schoolers do that are just like dumb stupid whatever so i couldn't get myself in the situation so um yeah i'd say my family because they've always been there for me they are super supportive um and they always wanted what was best for me and then um also, like just adjusting to college, like the wrestling aspect. Like, right. I knew school was gonna be okay, but in the wrestling aspect, everything's just heightened times ten. The speed, the strength, the knowledge of the sport, and I was—I just knew I was gonna be competing with some of the best guys in the whole world. Yeah, you know, so for sure. Yeah. So I mean, your fall schedule obviously is a little bit different. I mean, how did you prepare for wrestling this season, and when did training for you really begin? So, um. Right when school got over with in May, um, I was training here a little bit, but I actually left on June 31st to go to college to get there. So I've been there since July 1st. Start. Yeah, so I've been there since July 1st, and right when I got there, I started training. Uh, I started like a like a summer class just to get me ready for like the actual uh, college life of school and stuff. But uh, yeah, I've been. It was like lifting four days a week, practicing four days a week, and. Then just roll straight into season. So I've been at it for like seven months now, six, seven months, whatever it is. So, all right. Now my next question. Football was a large part of your life growing up. Now you're a former Eagle from Tiffin Youth Football. You spent a lot of time over the on the gridiron over the last couple, obviously about the last decade or so, right? Yeah, yeah. How bad did you miss it this year, man? Yeah, I just, oh, it gives me chills. Yeah. I don't know. It's just. I Dude, I see it in you, man. We When we covered you for the last four years, 
Like you, you're a dog. Like he just <laughs> everything about your game is like it's hard not to like what you do on the football field. Just the way yeah. you present yourself, the way you carry yourself, and just the the way you get after it, man. It's just it's it's fun to watch. Yeah. And so that's yeah. why I was like, man, this has got to be something. Like it's it burns inside of you. Mm-hmm. That's why I had to ask, like, how bad did you miss it this year? Yeah, football was originally like my sport. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I started wrestling at a young age, but like. I always told myself when I played for like Eagles and like when I was younger, I was like, man, I'm gonna play football for Ohio State one day. I'm gonna be at the top program, but my height didn't really get me there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's and it was it was hard because um, I had all my friends; they were playing still, and um, made me miss it because I knew playing with them and just playing with them over the everyone over the couple of years I did was so much fun. There was nothing like it. Like I mean, well, be honest with yourself. You could have played football if you wanted to. You could have went somewhere D3, D2, even D, D1. You could have went to Bowling Green or something like somewhere local. You could have went, but you had your sights set on something bigger. Since you started wrestling, man, you've yeah. known that while football's a passion, mm-hmm. wrestling's a gift for you, man. Yeah, yeah. It really is, you know? Yeah, you're right. That's uh and that really hit me like when I was in middle school. It was like yeah. Like, dang, like, I'm not going to fill all the requirements for football as much as I would like to. But I realized, like, something clicked when wrestling came around. Like, it was just like, dang, like, every day I loved it. Like, going into practice, just competitions, like, just itched at me. There was always something like, yeah, this is this is my thing. That's awesome, man. But So talk about, I, I just want to, I, I coached the Eagles for four years. I spent a little time with youth football. I want to know what one of your favorite memories from youth football was. Oh, Obviously, it's been man. a long time, but yeah. you know, go back to those days as an eagle. What was your What was one of your favorite memories? Um, you know, we uh, probably my fifth. I was in fifth grade or sixth grade one years, but we would just run it up on every single team. Like, <laughs> and my dad was just like not let go. He's just like nah, because every there everyone in the little <laughs> league always chirps and chirps and chirps and oh, they oh yeah. Cheat. They cheat. Oh yeah. Oh my. <laughs> mm, we'd run up scores like sixty something and nothing. True. Like it was like I'm not even joking. It was like um, like we would play Hopewell and we beat them like seventy two <clears throat> to like six. Like yeah, my dad. He we were relentless. Like my, well, my dad's mentality kind of like shaped us, shaped me. Yeah. My dad's my dad's a lot like me. Like he he set me up to who to become who I am. And yeah, he's he put that little like little gritty edge on my shoulder. Yeah, he put that into me. He's got that beast mentality, mm, man. Mm-hmm, it it sure. permeates to the people around him. For sure. That's why he's such a great addition to that coaching staff over oh, at Tiffin Columbian. Like, he went to coach at Tiffin Columbian because of you, obviously. Mm-hmm, yeah. But since you've left, he stick he stick around, man. He he yeah. loves his job. He loves what he does. He's got a passion for the game that it's obvious. Yeah, for sure. So I mean. I wanted to have him on tonight. I was I was yeah. looking forward to it. I was yeah. hoping for it, but you know what? Things happen. Yeah. yeah. But I'm I'm really I tell him I, I appreciate him setting this up for me. Yeah, for sure. And I really appreciate you coming on. But yeah, yeah. let's talk. We talked about youth football. Now let's talk about wrestling. What's I mean? Obviously, you have a love for this sport, mm-hmm. but what really has made you like? get involved with it as much as you have like from the beginning you knew this was the sport you have to commit to or when did it you said it middle school is when it clicked for you yeah now you know when did you know that all right i gotta focus on wrestling and did you start going to like camps or like doing any kind of special like training with individuals or any, any yeah kind of- so um there was i wrestled for a club growing up uh I, I always just stayed local up until like fifth fifth grade and then um 
we had a bunch of friends that told us about like this club called BTW, where um, it's like in Milan and Elyria and Perrysburg, and they uh, super great coaches. They 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 really brought my wrestling to a whole new level, and um, yeah, they just um, they made everything like kind of fit into place. They they expanded my knowledge of wrestling, and they uh, they showed like they would have guys from all over the country come in, like the top athletes, top wrestlers, like. Whoever wrestled like Logan Stever, he was a four-time national champ, four-time Ohio State or Ohio High School State champ. He would come in and run practices. That's His crazy. brother, who was crazy That's insane awesome. too, but yeah, um, actually, it's kind of crazy. So, in seventh grade, it was uh, it was like a tough time because I I was kind of getting that uh, sense of like like the whole friend thing. Like I didn't have a whole lot of friends because I was being I had my mindset. Right. So it was like a tough time for me. I actually like wanted to like quit sports and like quit everything in seventh grade. And then my parents were just like, hey, buddy, like you worked too hard for this. You, yep. did, you did a lot of stuff to get yourself in this position. And um, I was like, yeah. So then that summer I really bought into it. And then that's when when I went into eighth grade, that's when I just turned up. And I was just like, yeah, this, I love this. I, I won a state championship in, eight, in my middle school state championship. And then um, then I knew that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is my thing. But then uh, my freshman year, I uh, <clears throat> went down to state, got fourth or whatever. But during that year, I learned like a lot about myself. I put in a lot of work with my coaches, and I beat some really good kids, like some of the top yeah. kids in the country. That they were seniors, they were nineteen years old. Me wrestling when I was fifteen. Oh, I know. They were just old kids, and it was, it was a, just like there was a lot of chatter about what you were doing back then. Yeah, it was just like dang, like you perked up a lot of ears back yeah, then. Let yeah, yeah. Just say that. Yeah, it's cool. It's it just feels good. And then, but yeah, that's just when I kind of realized I was like. Yeah, this I could be really good at this. Like I could take this to a different level. Now talk about we say two time, but honestly, I feel like you were robbed of that three time state championship title because of that twenty twenty season. Talk about that for you. Just what that I mean, obviously that was painful for you. Because yeah. you know, as a sophomore, everybody knew you were you were rising and you were set to basically ascend to that top spot. Yeah, I was digging deep. I was that that year was kind of like set set me apart and it made me uh I developed a mindset that year where, like, I was like, call me the buzzsaw and everything. And that's, that's kind of what my mindset was. I was like, I'm a buzzsaw. Like, nobody yeah. can mess with me. Like, I'll go out there, I'll scrap. You, you may beat me, but I'm going to give you every single last bit of effort I have just to make sure, like, you're in pain going off the mat. You you question yourself, like, oh, man, this kid's catching up. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, it, it was – I remember it. Like, it was – I'll always remember it. I was in, sitting in history class and Mr. Heverling, Coach Heverling. Yeah. I was sitting in his class, and I was sitting there, and I was looking at my phone because it was the day before the actual tournament started. We were supposed to leave that night, and I got a text from my buddy, Max Ray, who when he was at Bell B-Town. B-Town. Okay. Yeah, yo, you hey. caught yourself. You caught hey. yourself. And he was like, hey, man, like look at this. like It's a news reporting place saying that tournament's postponed indefinitely. And I was like, what? Hmm. It's like, no way. It had to have been a gut punch, man. Yeah, and I was just like, I'm like, nah, someone's messing with me. Like, this is a meme or something. Like, but it was just like, dang. But, you know, like, God has a plan for everything. And that that definitely factored into the next couple of years. Like, um, that's a great mentality to have. Man. Yeah. He he's he's he puts everything in line for you to be successful, to learn and learn lessons. And that that made me hungry for the next year, my junior year, and every tournament from there. So I just learned to kind of accept it and not be too hard on myself or anybody else about it because you can only control what you can control. Like that's an uncontrollable that you can't do anything about. That's right. So yeah, I just kind of responded and stayed focused. So 
I like it. Yeah, I like it. yeah, for sure. So tell me about West Virginia. What what sold you on West Virginia? Obviously, um, coaches and the guys that you know, obviously in the locker room. But what about the campus, man? It's beautiful. It's yeah. uh, I'm I'm I like going outside and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I like going hiking. I uh um I like going whitewater rafting, like kayaking. That's and cool. that's all the stuff you can do down there. Like there's a there's this thing called Cooper's Rock. It's beautiful down there. There's uh you go twenty minutes away to see over the most gorgeous like canyon type valley thing that you've ever seen. And uh we go we went whitewater rafting the first two weeks I was there with our strength and conditioning coach and the whole team. That's so and cool. just like the guys on my team are awesome and um I actually started rock climbing. Like, what? like they, we got a rock wall gym, like a rock climbing gym in Morgantown. My strength conditioning coach is huge into it. So I'd go there. I'd go there like two times a week. And then I'll go out in the, like actual wild, like the uh, woods and stuff and go climbing up the rocks, like without anything on me. So it's oh, like risky. But solo it's, climbing. Oh, huh? my gosh. But I love it. Like you get to the top and it's just like you just feel like connected and it's just it's that. beautiful but uh oh man that's so cool yeah but the campus is awesome you you mean that's a great way to build hand strength yeah arm strength good you on know? your shoulders yeah it's for grip. sure but uh yeah and then like the campus it's beautiful there's you walk wherever you want um it's pretty it's a pretty safe place and uh there's a lot of pe- people you meet i think that's one of the coolest things like i like there was kids that would be walking around my dorm and they come up to me they're like hey you're brody conley and i'm like how do you know who I am? <laughs> and like, you wrestled my buddy in high school. Like, I'm from Ohio. Or, like, I saw you in a tournament at, like, a tournament in Ohio. And I'm like, no way. Like, that's, that's awesome. crazy. A small world. Or, like, people be, like, r- like related to my cousins or something. Or know my cousins. And I'm like, what? That's insane. <laughs> but, yeah, it's sweet. It's I think it's just a new opportunity to, like, just have fun and experience new things and it's that's Expand what I yourself by. as a person yeah, yeah 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 i like that i like the fact that you know people might not know that about you that you're you know into i guess you know thrilling things you yeah, know like yeah. you like to go white i like the white water water rafting thing man like that's that's pretty cool yeah it's I, it's it was super <clears> sketchy because like so we found out we like we went and we and like a week later um someone was going down the same thing and got trapped under a rock and like i like so like I get like rushed, like oh. I get thrills, like yeah, it's, it's kind of messed up, but like I get like thrills about stuff like that because I'm like, oh, like I don't know, I don't know, I like, like I was stuff. just there, yeah, like the rock or the rock rock climbing stuff, like I'm on the top of this rock, like 40 feet up in the air, how am I gonna get back down? <laughs> I'm just up there, I'm like, oh man, that was easy getting up. <laughs> I didn't plan out my exit yeah, strategy yeah, here, but I love that stuff, like it just gets my heart racing and it gets that's me excited, cool. but yeah, that's awesome, yeah. All right, so. Um... You got your next semester coming up. When do you go back? Uh, I actually come, go back to 26. 26th? Yeah, so I got the home day yesterday. after Christmas, you go right back? Yeah, yeah. So you get a little bit of time, spend time with the family, yeah. and I really appreciate you carving out a nice little chunk oh, of it for, for sure. us tonight, yeah. man. Yeah, And I, I saw the picture at wrestling practice tonight, man. Big ups for that. That's awesome. Yeah. My son's uh, eighth grader, Isaac. yeah. yeah. He looks up to you like tremendously, really? so it was it meant a lot to him. I told him I was like, you know, Brody might be there tonight. <laughs> I heard a little, it, yeah. a little secret, maybe. Yeah. You know, he's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's just I I really appreciate you uh, kind of spending time with not just us, but you know, the community as well. Yeah, for sure. It just I knew how important to me that like how important that was to me when I was a little kid. Like when yeah. I was in that same situation, there's Seth Williams. Seth was like my idol growing up like i looked up to that dude 
my because my dad coached before with like Chad Long and all of them and yeah Seth was like Seth Mason Crow and a couple other guys like I was like dang like I can't wait to be like them one day blah blah blah, blah. so I think about that stuff I'm like these kids like they love that like they they want to see these older people that they know that the people know like the community knows and I just I don't know I think you should always give back and that's just really important to me for sure yeah that's a great attitude man yeah yeah well, hey, I really appreciate you spending time with us tonight. Once again, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You're here to spend time with family. Yeah. Uh, once again, thank you. Yeah. Any sure. shout outs you want to give? Any, any, uh, um, shout out to the people of Tiffin. They just yeah, show yeah. all the support in the world. Shout out to my family. Uh, love you all and I'm thankful for all of you. Now, we were originally having you on because tomorrow was supposed to be yeah. Brody Conley night at the <laughs> Tiffin Columbian game we were going to be at. And so we were going to have a little interview with you beforehand and maybe even catch up with you during the game or something. But, yeah. you know, they canceled the game now. So, yeah. folks, it just we'll have to see if we can catch up with you down the road, though. Yeah, things happen. Absolutely. All good. God bless. Well, appreciate your time, man. For sure. Thank you. Once again, thanks for tuning in here on Mulling It Over on Heart of Ohio Sports Two-time state champion Brody Conley, current West Virginia Mountaineer, coming on the program with us. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you share the video. Like, follow, subscribe on all of our platforms. Once again, thanks to Vince Guerreri and Zach Baker for coming on in the first segment. And thanks, of course, as always, to the wizard, Greg Kinn, for keeping us online, live, and locked in. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you next time.